1: The snow is melting, as is the ice. Open water for many of us not far away. I'm staring out at the river. It's been open water for a while now, but uh it'll be a while for some of the inland lakes. Steve Carney takes us outdoors on the weekends and has for years. Steve Carney Outdoors dot com. Steve, how you been?
0: Uh, Okay, Steve. I had a long road trip today. I went down to pick up my uh, new boat down in Sioux Falls. I'm uh, on the way back, and I made a decision. I am not going to the Missouri River this year for the first time in 32 years.
1: And why is that?
0: The weather out there has been horrendous. I check the weather 10 times a day out there, (laughs) and usually I'm out there in the middle of March. And I can only get, like, one nice day sandwiched between three or four 40-mile-an-hour days, you know, high winds, snow. It's really been just off the charts bad, and I haven't been able to get two days in a row. So, yeah, very frustrated.
1: Yeah, and and typically it, it warms up quicker out there. And the the one thing, and I spent... uh almost 10 years living in South Dakota, pursuing my radio dreams. And uh, the, the weather changes on a dime and the wind is a whole different deal out there than it is typically here and say the cities are up north. It, it's a different kind of wind. It is relentless.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've seen springs like this too out there, but usually you can get a couple of days in there and then, you know, it changes. But it's just been tough. It's like one nice day, then six bad days, and it's really too far to go if you can't get at least a couple of days in. So I'm uh, I'm going to take a pass, and I'm going to sit and wait for the border waters to open up here, Big Stone and Traverse, which should be within the next week or 10 days. So that'll be next on the agenda. And get the boat ready, ready to go, and uh, talk life jackets. How about life jackets?
1: Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Uh, important year-round, but early in the year, late in the year when the water is cold, uh, y- y- you've you've got to have a life-fest on. There's there's no question about it. You fall in that water, uh, you're in big trouble in a hurry.
0: You know the new trend, Steve, now are these very small horseshoe-shaped life jackets that operate on a CO2 cartridge, which supposedly, when you hit the water, it will uh set the system off and the flotation device will will start and i i tell you i've been using them the last year or so i really don't trust them because they're a a mechanical thing and anything with the co2 cartridge it's got a you know plastic guts in there that uh, have a meter on it and i just they are so comfortable and i really like them but i just don't trust something mechanical um and then you know if you hit the water some of these have a drawstring that you have to remember to pull to inflate the co2 and you know when you hit the water sometimes you know you almost go into shock so i'm going to kind of bail on that and stick to the old-fashioned um you know old time life jacket you strap it on and you know you're good to go so that's just kind of uh you know kind of the way i'm thinking
1: yeah, and they they are handy, they are lightweight, um, and, and certainly there are regs. You want to make sure you have life jackets in the boat, but what are your recommendations? You take people out all the time. Uh, what do you tell the people you fish with, your guests? You know, Steve, I
0: kind of leave it up to them depending on their experience, and, you know, some people are deathly afraid of water, and others are very comfortable and I just leave it up to them and you know a lot of it depends on the conditions if it's windy and nasty the light jackets go on if it's calm and I've got uh, people that are used to fishing and and veterans were okay it all depends on the conditions but um, I just you know another thing I was thinking about the CO2 uh, light jackets you know if you store it in your garage you're put it in your pole building over the winter is that going to affect that CO2 cartridge and affect the mechanical part of those life jackets? And um, I thought about that, too, and it's like, you know, I think I'm going to pass on those as as comfortable as they are. I think just wear the old-fashioned strap it on, and you don't have to worry about it.
1: Steve Carney joining us, Steve Carney Outdoors. Uh, You read on the spring and the melt, there was hope that this snow melt would... uh, Help us get back, which was a tough year, low water levels in 2021. But I've noticed here in the cities, northern suburbs, a little bit of drive out into the country that the snow, for the most part, is gone. And uh, some of these wetland areas are still pretty dry. What are you seeing in your neck of the woods? What are you seeing in you're out and about? I I have a feeling that it, it could be another low water year when it all plays out.
0: Yeah, you're right, Steve. You know, I came up through uh, Sioux Falls in southern Minnesota, and I was kind of shocked that there wasn't more water. Um, It looked kind of a little bit below normal but not terrible. But up by me in Lakes Country, we've got 20 inches of ice. We just got another dump of snow uh, three, four days ago. Um, I guess it just depends on what part of the state you're in. North and northwest looks very good, and we got a really good shot in the arm with all the snow it's really going to help our lake levels. But really kind of surprised about southern Minnesota, southwest down there. It looks uh, they could use some rain, and it sounds like we're going to get some rain. So hopefully that will uh, help things out.
1: Yeah, we, we don't want to see those low water levels like we did last year, that's for sure. Steve, always good to visit with you. Safe travels with the new boat. Congrats <laughs> on that. You've got to be positively giddy about that. And we'll visit again next week uh, following the Twins game.
0: All right, sounds great, Steve. Have a great rest of your weekend.
1: All right, there he is, Steve Kearney, stevekearneyoutdoors.com. He's been joining us for years, and uh, it is an absolute must. When when we get our old pontoon out of storage every year, first thing I do, go through the shed, check out the life jackets, make sure that I have plenty on board for everyone, even if we have folks out on the boat. we and And that, by the way, is the law. That's the regulation. Uh, but uh, especially early in the year, late in the year when those water temps are cold, uh, it, it is a must to have uh, life jackets in your boat and have those life jackets on. 4:14 14 here on a Saturday. When we come back, uh, Stephen Clark will join us from Space Flight Now. One of my favorite topics aside the world of sports, and there's a lot going on. As a matter of fact, that gigantic SLS rocket is on the pad down in Florida. They're going to do a test. They're, they're not going to launch. I will get you up to date on SpaceX. And an American came home on a Soyuz capsule safely. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that part of the story as well here on News Talk. e three O W C C O.
0: A little sunny, breezy
1: today here in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul. Uh, 49 degrees, Uh, a little cooler tomorrow and sunny start. Rain moves in later in the day, rainy uh, Sunday night, and then uh, rainy again Uh, Tuesday, Tuesday night, Wednesday, Wednesday night, uh, Thursday. So midweek, not so good, and then the sun returns the way it looks on Friday. Uh, Right now, we're going to go down to Florida. Stephen Clark joins us, spaceflightnow.com. Quite an image at uh, the website, spaceflightnow.com, that gigantic rocket on the pad at Kennedy Space Center, the SLS rocket. Now, they're not going to launch, but a big test coming up, Stephen.
2: That's right. Good to talk to you, Steve. Uh, This weekend, uh, NASA is going to be loading fuel into this giant rocket for the first time. This will be the... uh It's the biggest rocket that will be launched from uh, Florida since the Saturn V uh, back in the Apollo era. And uh, it's the rocket that NASA intends to carry uh, astronauts back to the moon. It's the first uh, version of the rocket. It's on the launch pad right now. And, uh, in fact, uh, tomorrow morning they're going to be loading propellant into it and running through an entire countdown rehearsal to make sure kind of all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted before they go into the real launch.
1: Yeah, and this, this this has been in the works for a long time. It's been a very expensive program, and uh, we're we're so used to SpaceX uh, reusing the first stage, reusing capsules. Um, a, a reminder: what you see on the pad, if you go to spaceflightnow.com, dot com, is one hundred percent disposable.
2: Yeah, that that's right. It's kind of uh, you know back to the nineties and eighties. And in fact, it's uh, one other thing I like to point out is the solid rocket boosters on this rocket, which are the two cylinders on each side of that main stage, and also the engines at the base of the rocket were actually leftovers from the space shuttle program. So they're certified to be reusable. They were reused. I think some of the engines on on this rocket have flown into space uh, upwards of eight or nine times, And uh, but it's going to be expendable. And... When NASA designed this rocket, it was before SpaceX had pioneered um, reusing first stages of their rockets, and uh, th- this program, like you said, the cost, it is very costly. The Space Launch System has cost more than $20 billion uh, since 2012 when the program started until now, and it's running about five years late. Um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't take away from, from being in a very impressive vehicle once it flies, but um, you know, it's hard to turn your back on the cost and turn your back on the expendable, expendable nature of it, uh, given what SpaceX is doing.
1: Oh, we're having a little bit of trouble with Stephen's phone. So we we better see if we can get Stephen on the line and get that... Uh, uh, corrected. One of one of the other stories we want to bring up with Stephen, if we can get uh, the phone line thing straightened out, is the fact that um, an American astronaut did return. Uh, Mark Vandehei uh, came back to it with two Russian cosmonauts, and we'll hopefully get into that in a moment. Uh, I think we've got Stephen back, and uh, Stephen bagged to SLS in this launch. Once again, they're they're not going to launch. They they aren't even going to fire the engines, are they? This this just load it with fuel, correct?
2: Right. Yeah, they're going to be loading it with fuel. So this uh, rocket burns uh, liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen. So this propellant is chilled down to, uh, in the case of hydrogen, chilled down to minus 423 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the, the coldest propellant that is used by any rocket in the world, liquid hydrogen. So they want to load this propellant into the rocket, this fuel into the rocket. Make sure there are no leaks because hydrogen is a small molecule; it could find its way through leak paths that uh, other uh, fluids and gases can't necessarily find a leak path through. They want to make sure that all the metal and components inside the tanks are um, uh, conditioned for that super cold temperature. And you know these propellant and fueling te- propellant loading and fueling tests are pretty standard in the rocket industry. We've seen. SpaceX do it numerous times with their Starship down in Texas, um, and other rockets do the same thing as well. But this is the first time that the fully stacked, fully integrated space launch system will go through this process.
1: And what is as soon as we could see this, this launch? There won't be a crew on board. Uh, this is, this is a, a test vehicle, if you will. What, what's as soon as some point this spring?
2: Uh, June would be the very earliest. Okay. Uh, June sixth would be the very earliest date, but that assumes that this test tomorrow goes flawlessly or very close to flawlessly. And you know, NASA last week in the press conference, you know, told us that that they don't necessarily expect it to go perfectly. They're optimistic it'll go well, uh, but you know, there's a chance they may have to do another test if something if they find a leak or find some is- other issue. But June 6th, if everything goes perfectly, uh, that's the first opportunity, and it's flying to the moon, so uh, the launch windows for this mission, they can only launch every other, t- every two weeks, and then they basically have to wait two weeks because the moon has to be in the right position in the sky, and the first window that's available to them when they think they'll be ready is June
1: 6th. All right. Um, I, I had mentioned uh, during when we, we had a little trouble with uh, the phone line that... Uh, Mark Vande Hei returned with two Russian cosmonauts on a Soyuz capsule, uh, landed safely, and has returned to the United States. So in spite of all the tensions, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, there, there was some saber-rattling, if you will, but Mark Vande Hei has returned to terra firma, and he's back in the United States. All went well.
2: Yes, yes. There was quite a bit of uh, a bluster and, and saber-rattling, as you said, especially from the Uh, head of the russian space agency sent some tweets uh that seemed to imply that russia would consider leaving mark vande on the space station and not bring him back to earth Um, but cooler heads prevailed thankfully and he is back on earth after i'll note 355 days in space and that's almost a year and that sets a new record for the longest uh, duration space flight by an american ever uh breaking a previous record that i think was 340 days and uh, all this uh, data that gathered, that NASA gathered and scientists gathered on how his body responded to a year in space is going to be useful for planning future missions to
0: Mars.
1: Yeah, and th- there is no question uh, trying to understand what the human body goes through, and that this is just in low Earth orbit. Uh, in, in longer trips to the moon and longer stays on the moon. I'm sure that'll be carefully studied because the sense is, is that the next step is going to the moon and then ultimately to Mars. So there there's a lot to be learned there, isn't there, Stephen?
2: Indeed, there really is. And um, scientists and NASA managers want to know, um, how the body responds to extended stays in zero gravity so they want to know how the muscle muscles atrophy how the bones atrophy uh extended space flight can have uh, uh negative effects on the eyes there's also increased increased radiation exposure excuse me radiation exposure uh when you're in space for many months or a year or more at a time which and they ultimately can uh, lead to an increased risk of cancer down the line so they want to monitor how these astronauts uh, work in space, but when they're back on Earth, they also uh, measure and take data and take blood and other samples from the astronauts over the course of their lives after they get back to see if there are any lingering effects or once they're back on Earth, if uh, their body kind of bounces back and, uh, and acts and operates as if they never left the planet.
1: We have a few minutes left in our time today. I, I do want to get into SpaceX. They had uh, what, what amounted to be uh, a ride share launch, 40 payloads, a ride into orbit, including a German environmental mapping satellite. You have a story on that on the website spaceflightnow.com. And, and they continue to pile up successes that uh, the, the Falcon 9 rocket has become a very reliable, reusable system.
2: Right, right. This was the 12th uh, SpaceX launch of the year that just happened on uh, Friday, yesterday. carried 40 small satellites into orbit for uh, customers in a dozen countries. So SpaceX can kind of aggregate all these small satellites onto a big rocket, and they can all share the cost, which in turn reduces the cost to each company. A lot of these companies are startups and small businesses, universities. They don't, don't have a lot of funding, and without SpaceX's low costs, which are enabled by their ability to reuse their rockets, they wouldn't be able to find a ride for their experiment to space. So a lot of these uh, small cup, uh, satellite companies have their business cases closed mm-hmm. when a company like SpaceX came along and offered these uh, launch prices, which in many cases are half or lower than any of the competitors. So uh 12th mission of the year. They're very busy. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, the founder of SpaceX, mentioned last week that they're aiming for 60 Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy Uh, rocket launches this year, which would be double uh, what they've done in any previous year, roughly, and would, in fact, be a a record worldwide of any company in the history of space exploration. So very busy times ahead for SpaceX. In fact, you may mention this, but the next two missions, they have two crew missions to the International Space Station coming up in just a couple of weeks' time, which will be another uh, a bit, very busy month with two human spaceflight missions to the space station separated by just two weeks when two years ago, the uh, United States didn't have any capability to put astronauts into space.
1: Yeah, and uh, that, that that system has worked very well. Bravo to SpaceX. One other item in the minute we've got remaining. We have not heard a lot about Starship and any government approval. Here it is, April already, and they still haven't been able to get the necessary Permission from the United States government to just even do a test launch a starship. What is going on? Why is it taking so long?
2: You know, I, I don't. I don't have a whole lot of visibility into what the FAA is reviewing, other than what they've said publicly, uh, which is that, that they're analyzing and evaluating all the comments that they received uh, during a public comment period last year. So this is a whole uh, uh, environmental review. Uh, of SpaceX's plans down in Texas to make sure there's no impact on the environment or any of the uh, towns nearby and, and people nearby, this uh, star facility down in South Texas. Uh, but it's going on a lot longer than SpaceX would have hoped. And, uh you know, some people ascribe ill notions to what the government is doing. However, uh, you know, maybe a year ago I might have given that some thought, but – uh NASA does have a contract now with SpaceX's Starship, so the government does have a vested interest in making sure this thing flies. And uh, so I think it's just a question of of bureaucratic inertia that we see so often in government, and and it's rearing its head now with SpaceX.
1: And we should point out that SpaceX is moving forward with the facility to launch Starships from uh, Florida and that is full steam ahead and that could be available as soon as late this year, certainly early next year.
2: Exactly. And they do have, uh, they've had environmental approval for that uh, location for the Starship launch site here in Florida for a while now. Excuse me. And um, we've seen recently here at Kennedy space center, uh, some uh, launch tower segments for the launch pad being uh, fabricated at SpaceX's facility. And they're now, starting work on building the Starship launch pad, which will be a, basically a copy and upgrade, in fact, an improved version of what's in Texas that will be uh, gracing the skies um, here at Cape Canaveral soon, very soon. All right.
1: Well, Stephen, always good to visit with you. I appreciate your work at SpaceFlightNow.com.
2: Thank you. Thank you, thank you for asking me to join you.
1: All right. There he is, Stephen Clark, SpaceFlightNow.com. It is 4-3-2, quick break. We'll have the weather. And then Sarah McClellan on a tight timeline will join us. Uh, The Wild take on Carolina tonight. It is News Talk, E3O-WCCO. It has been a bit of a roller coaster ride for the Minnesota Wild this season. They are an upswing in spite of an overtime loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins at the end of a long homestand. They hit the road. They're taking on Carolina. And Sarah McClellan covers the Wild for the Star Tribune. Uh, Sarah, thanks for the time today. I hope all is well.
3: How are you doing, Steve?
1: Yeah, good. Good to visit with you again. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov has a chance to grab that uh, points record. Yeah, he tied
3: the the record last game. He got to 83 points, which obviously ties Marion Gabrick's long-held record for the single-season uh, points record. And you're right, he's kind of been on the cusp for for a while now just Um, To not only tie it, but to eclipse it with, you know, so many games left in this last month of the season. So uh, that's been kind of a watch lately, but he's been on a tear overall. He has a goal in five straight games and obviously really playing up to his potential at a really key time in the season for the Wild as, as they jostle for playoff positioning, like I said, in this last month of the regular season.
1: It is extraordinary what what this team has been through this season. You know, uh, a terrific run, and then it, it seems as though the the roof caved in uh, around the holidays and the Winter Classic and COVID, and the entire league was affected. And then they they bounce back. General Manager Bill Guerin makes some really big moves, including bringing in uh, future first ballot Hall of Famer goaltender Mark Andre Fleury. I mean some really big moves and the team has responded beautifully
3: yeah it has been seamless you know working in these new acquisitions ahead of the trade deadline uh, flurry especially but you know also players you know up front in Tyson Jost and Nick DeLorean obviously Jake Middleton continues to play with Jared Spurgeon on defense these last handful of games since he made his debut and you're right. They, you know, they were aggressive additions, aggressive moves, but I think moves that obviously indicate how much management believes in this team, uh, what this team's potential could be once getting into the playoffs. But I think also it's a sign of reality, and the reality is is that this team's financial flexibility is going to shrink a bunch, you know, after this season. And so, um, you know, maybe this is the time to really pursue, you know, that type of lengthy playoff run that this franchise hasn't been able to go on in quite some time because you know obviously there's going to be a financial pinch looming in the future so um still a lot of hockey like i said a month left to go in the regular season um you know the team's battling for that second place in the central division which does have home ice in the first round but clearly you know beefing up and retooling the roster certainly points to what this team um is aiming for ambition wise you know beyond the regular season.
1: But the ingredients are there, and for a long time with this Minnesota Wild Club, they, they didn't have elite goal scoring. They've got that now. Uh, Garen made sure, you, you mentioned, beefed up, got a little tougher, a little grittier, and then when you add a goaltender like Marc-Andre Fleury that's been there many times before, and not to disparage Cam Talbot, a veteran goaltender as well, but but you really need all three of those in the playoffs to have sustained sustained success and and go on on a run.
3: Yeah, I think the experience is key, especially the pedigree that Flurry brings, having been there before, won three Stanley Cups. He was obviously a big reason why the Wild was eliminated last season when he was in net for Vegas um, and just completely stymied the Wild at times. Uh, but the depth is important too you know just having reinforcements having a deeper lineup to be able to withstand you know the rigorous hockey that does take over in the playoffs and also like you mentioned the grit you know that that plays to this team's identity but that also you know kind of I guess prepares the team for what's going to lie ahead in the playoffs you know that type of hockey that time of year does get grittier um, it does get more punishing. And so I think all these moves kind of point to that, getting the team ready for that, and kind of bracing to take a step forward from last season.
1: And uh, obviously uh, a game on the road against Carolina. This is a terrific home team. Uh, you, you had a note in the Star Tribune, uh, Carolina 25-5-4 and at PNC Arena in Raleigh. That's pretty good.
3: Yeah, they're, you know, they're good everywhere, but especially at home. You know, this is one of the premier teams in the league. The Wild did, however, um, defeat Carolina earlier this season back in February, but that was on home ice. So um, this is a tough trip. This is a trip full of tests, but obviously this is probably, um, you know, the big one in, in terms of, you know, playing the Eastern Conference teams to start with. The team plays in Washington tomorrow. But then it wraps up with two key division matchups against the two teams, you know, chasing the Wild for that second place in the Central in Nashville and St. Louis. So um, this is a tough track, but it will probably be pretty telling, and the Wild might have some more clarity on its playoff positioning after it gets through this trip.
1: Yeah, and they, they, they got on a roll at home during that long homestand uh, from the middle of March through the end of March. And the sense was they had to take advantage of that, and ultimately, they did. Final game against Pittsburgh, they ended up getting beaten in overtime. But the, but there's no shame in in getting beaten in overtime by a, a fine team like the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now they go on the road. I, I would assume at this point they're probably happy to be out on the road and uh, ch- a change of scenery and and get away a little bit and and dig in. It's
3: probably a good next step for the team because. You know, like you mentioned, it was a long homestand. So all the changes, all the new acquisitions, that all happened at home. And that's, you know, where the team can obviously have last change, can dictate a little bit more of the matchup game. And now they won't have that as the visitor. Um, So they might not always get, you know, the perfect matchup that they want. And, you know, since this is a team that does want to roll four lines, it'll be a really good test, I think, to see, you know, how that depth, can carry the team um, when it doesn't necessarily, you know, be in control of how the matches play out on the ice. But then off the ice, too, this is time for the team to bond, um, you know, spend more time together on the road and really continue to gel after making these acquisitions.
1: All right, Sarah, I know you've got to run. Thanks so much for the time. But once again, uh, the start of a long trip at Carolina, then the short trip to Washington and a date with the Capitals, and then uh, at Nashville, at St. Louis, before returning home to take on uh, the Kings and the Oilers on the 10th and 12th, respectively. Sarah, thank you so much. Have a good evening.
3: Take care, Steve.
1: All right, Sarah McClellan from the Star Tribune joining us here. News Talk E3OWCCO, 6 o'clock start uh, tonight and again tomorrow night. And Kirill Kaprizov and Alexander Ovechkin uh, potentially uh, tomorrow night at Washington. Kaprizov didn't get to play in the other meeting at the XL Energy Center because uh, he got cheap-shotted by the Bruins in Boston. So so remember that. So a big four-game stretch for the Wild. On the road, we are going to take a break. Still, so much more uh, to come. Uh, we, we've got some more Final Four sound, courtesy of Jonathan Lowe. More with page backers coming up. Uh, the championship game is set. We'll also preview the men's Final Four coming up downriver in New Orleans. It'll be Villanova and Kansas in Game One, and then Duke and North Carolina for the first time ever in the Final Four uh, later on tonight. And we'll have all of that. Here on News Talk, E3-O-W-C-C-O. W-N-I-T championship game in Brookings, South Dakota. South Dakota State hammers Seton Hall. Uh, the, the final in that game uh, was 82-50. to 50. Uh, You may remember early in the WNIT, South Dakota State routed Minnesota. Lindsay Whalen brought her team into Brookings. No contest. So South Dakota State dominates the WNIT and beats Seton Hall and great crowds at Frost Arena. Many, many years ago, I used to do Augustana women's games on the radio. So I, I, I've done some games at Frost Arena in Brookings. It, it's, a, it's a great building. And they were packing them in uh, for this WNIT. And they beat Seton Hall uh, the final. 82 to 50. So, congrats to the Jacks and that victory. Uh, 25 to seven after a quarter. 40 to 18 at halftime. Seton Hall never got closer than 20 points. South Dakota State's lead grew to as many as 37. Uh, Kaylee Tyson 16 points, 11 rebounds to lead the Jackrabbits. Haley Timmer added 14. Peyton Burkhard 13. Maya Sellen had 12. South Dakota State beat Seaton Hall to win the WNIT. Uh, Matt Zimmer, the Argus leader, with the story there, uh, filling in some of the gaps for us, and we certainly do appreciate that. That is uh, the daily in Sioux Falls, the Argus leader. So South Dakota State wins the WNIT. And, of course, women's final four in town. Title game set tomorrow night at Target Center. South Carolina won game one last night. UConn. Great free throw shooting in the fourth. They overcome eight turnovers in the fourth quarter to get to W last night. They go 15-17 from the free throw line. I, I've seen a lot of games. High school, college, pro over the years. Overcoming eight turnovers late in a ball game and hang on to win a, the defending champs in Stanford, 63-58, to 58. Is extraordinary. And, of course, our Jonathan Lowe has been covering the Final Four for us all weekend. Henry Lake has been there. we got a ton of stuff online at wccradio.com um, And Jonathan Lowe, uh, we, we heard from Page Backers, uh, and, and she talked about not only the game and the team, but uh, what about Minnesota legend Lindsey Whalen being inducted into the Nate Smith Hall of Fame.
4: She's one of the greatest point guards to play the game and just growing up watching her and watching the Minnesota Lynx. I remember going to all the final games and watching her lead the team um, and just the person she is as well. She's been a great mentor to me. She's helped me through a lot of stuff and she's just been a great support for me being from Minnesota as well. So I think she deserves all the accolades and the Hall of Fame um, and I'm super happy for her and it's just awesome to see this sort of growing up and from
1: when I was a little kid just watching the Minnesota Lynx win all the championships. Um, so that's really awesome. So the great Lindsey Whalen, uh, named first ballot Nate Smith Hall of Famer. And uh, Paige Becker is, of course, uh, one of the big attractions to this weekend women's Final Four. An epic performance in the regional final. Led UConn in scoring last night. Uh, Becker's went on to talk about uh, how she's been shaped as a person.
4: I mean, obviously the phrase Minnesota nice, I think everybody knows that Minnesota is known for the niceness. But I think just what God has done for my life, I think that's what shaped a lot about who I am and what I do. And God has blessed me so much and given me so much that I think it's only right to just spread that light on him and give him glory and make sure that everybody else around me and anything that I'm given, I want to give back as well. So I think that's what shaped who I am and my parents as well, just keeping me humble and keeping me grounded and showing me what a great person is first, and then basketball comes second.
1: Yeah, and uh, Paige went on to say uh, uh, she really is as being an outlet for positive change.
4: I mean, I just want to be a part of change in a very positive way not only in, in the game of uh, women's basketball, but in the world in general, so anytime you can be a part of that, it means a whole lot. That's why you play the game and I think women's basketball deserves a lot more credit than it gets, so any opportunity and any mark for change and any step in the right direction is amazing. I know that there's a long way to go, but positive, moving forward in a positive direction is
1: Yeah, it's just so impressive on how she's handled her freshman year at UConn, freshman of the year, all the accolades, and then uh, stepping into a different role. And now is mentoring a player, and uh, we're going to hear about uh, one of, her teammates, uh, a freshman at UConn, and th- this is really a-, a tremendous part of the story as well, how in her sophomore year, she's mentoring a freshman who's having a, a big impact, AZ Fudd, and Fud went on to talk about how Paige has helped her along the way.
4: I talked to her a lot, um, I mean, about all that stuff, and she kind of just, she's like, simple it down dumb it down for me in a sense like can't think of it like it's not nervous you can't be nervous about this stuff I mean I am but um kind of just like have fun with it I've been mean, you've been doing this your whole life you've been playing forever like just have fun I mean um, like I love everyone on this team now I can with everyone so just have fun with what you're doing have fun with your teammates and that sort of thing
1: and then uh, Fudd went on to talk about her connections to the state of Minnesota
4: I have tons of family. I've been coming here since I was in my mom's stomach. I've never missed a state fair. My grandparents live here and all their family, and I have, like, countless cousins here. So I come every summer.
1: And and if that's not a connection to Minnesota, coming to the state fair, I don't know what is. Carrie Clatt is our producer. Carrie, I I think anybody who throws out, they come to the state fair every year. You're in. Yeah, Uh, she's
0: one of us. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That
1: that's instant membership. If you can say I've been to the state fair and, uh, talk about prono pups or the grandstand or, or, you know, any part of that sweet Martha's, uh, that, that is instant Minnesota membership right there. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. That's great stuff. Uh, terrific job by the entire crew covering the final four championship game tomorrow night. It'll be UConn and South Carolina. Should be a dandy. Uh, two legendary coaches, two terrific programs. Uh, Minneapolis putting on uh, a great show indeed. And a big thanks to Jonathan Lowell for all his hard work. He also caught up with Lynx head coach, uh, one of the all-time greats in the WNBA, uh, Cheryl Reeve. And hopefully we'll have time for that between now and 6 o'clock here on News Talk, E3OWCCO. A twins win. They win in the Grapefruit League today. Uh, Nick Gordon, a monster day. He had five RBI, a home run, a triple, three total hits, two runs scored. Twins roll over the Rays, 8-2. They get the Orioles tomorrow in Fort Myers. We'll be on the air at noon. Corey Provost, Dan Gladney here on the home of the Twins. Final spring training game of the year on the radio on Monday when they get the Red Sox at noon. And uh, the home opener, the season opener on Thursday. You'll hear them all here. On the home of the twins, we'll have all the news, all the weather at five. A news talk, eight three zero WCCO.
0: Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In
1: order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Doncic.